0: Well, friends, can you think of something difficult that you have done out of your love for someone else? Uh, Parents, maybe it has been raising your children. Uh, Friends, maybe it has been saying goodbye to to someone you love. Maybe it's been saying goodbye to those very children as they go to university or out of your home to live on their own. Uh, Maybe it's been leaving family members and friends behind to come here so that you could provide for them. Maybe something difficult that you've done out of your love for another has been forgiving a loved one or a friend who has wronged you. Maybe it's been asking forgiveness of a loved one yourself. Maybe out of your love you have said a difficult word of correction to someone that you love because you wanted their good. Well, friends, a a Christian or biblical love for God and others should sometimes lead you to do difficult things. A biblical love should lead you to do things for the good of others and the glory of God, even when those things come at some personal cost to you. Saying goodbye, speaking a difficult word, asking for forgiveness or extending forgiveness to another. A biblical love is not defined by butterflies in your stomach or, or fairy tale romance. Uh, no, biblical love is to seek the good of others, even when it comes at personal cost. Uh, therefore, love for God is living in obedience to God, even when it might require you to do difficult things, even when that obedience is, is hard. A uh, friend's biblical love is shown in actions. Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. That's going to be our sermon text for today. You can also find that text in the back of your bulletin. Well, in Philemon, in the book of Philemon, we see a picture of biblical love lived out. The entirety of the letter is really an appeal from Paul to a man by the name of Philemon asking that Philemon welcome back, forgive, and I believe free his runaway slave, Onesimus. It's what the letter is about. Philemon is an appeal from Paul to Philemon, asking that he would welcome back his runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul's asking him to do difficult things out of Christian love. We also see Onesimus take the difficult step of returning to his master, Philemon, to seek forgiveness. And Paul, out of his love for both of these men, seeks to bring reconciliation between them. My friends, the book of Philemon is a book about forgiveness. But it is also a a picture of Christian love in action. Please follow along as I read the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Appiah, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I heard of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead. On the basis of love, I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, it was customary in the ancient world for the first first person listed or the first person greeted in a letter to be the main recipient of that letter. So though Paul greets two other people in the opening verses of Philemon, Philemon was the main person to whom he was writing. That means that the reference to the church that meets in your home in verse 2 was likely talking about the church that met in the home of Philemon. That's a bit difficult to see in our English translations of the Bible. And this church that likely met in the home of Philemon was the Colossian church. That's the one we've just been studying about. Though Paul did not know most of the members of the church in Colossae, the Colossian church, he had never visited the city of Colossae, it does seem that Paul knew Philemon. He calls him a dear friend in verse 1. In verse 19, he seems to indicate that Philemon was saved through his own ministry, that Philemon came to faith under the ministry of Paul. And then we we learn more about Philemon in, in verse 1 and verses 4 through 7. We see Paul praise him for his love for his fellow Christians. He praises Philemon for being a faithful brother and a co-worker in the gospel. You might be wondering how we know that Philemon was part of the Colossian church, that it was the the church in Colossae that met in his home. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to bring them with you each and every week to church. We'll flip a few pages back to the left, to Colossians chapter 4, which we just studied last week. Uh, In Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, we see that a man by the name of Onesimus accompanied Tychicus in bringing the letter from Paul to the Colossians. So the letter Paul wrote was brought to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. Paul described in Colossians Onesimus as one of you. He was from the city of Colossae, in other words. We flip back over to Philemon, verse 10. Well, this is what Paul writes. I appeal to you, Philemon, for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. Well, This Onesimus, same Onesimus from Colossians chapter 4. And now look down in verses 16 and 17. Of Philemon. Uh, Paul appealed to Philemon to welcome him back, welcome Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as a dearly loved brother. Well, it seems that uh, at some point, uh, Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, ran away and and wound up in Rome where, where Paul was under house arrest. We don't know how, but somehow he encountered Paul while he was in Rome and became a Christian under Paul's ministry. Oh, that's what Paul is, is talking about in verse 10 when, he's saying he, when he said he became Onesimus' father in the faith. Well, now that uh, Onesimus had become a Christian, uh, Paul was sending him back to Colossae to reconcile with Philemon. And he was appealing to Philemon in this letter to welcome Onesimus back. Oh, this isn't the, the only connection we see between the two letters either. In both Colossians and Philemon, Paul often mentions the fact that he was in prison, that he was in chains. He wrote these letters in the midst of the same circumstances in his life. Many of the same people who sent their greetings to the Colossians at the end of Colossians chapter 4, they also sent their greetings to Philemon in the last few verses of this letter. Archippus, who appears in verse 2 of Philemon, also appears in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, these verses are about all the information that we have about Archippus. And we know even less about Apphia, the other person mentioned in verse 2 of Philemon. She may have been Philemon's wife or, or simply an important person in the church of Colossae. Brothers and sisters, I'm pointing out all these connections between Colossians and Philemon, not so that you can like do a better job of answering Bible trivia if there's like a Bible trivia game that we play later on. No, I'm pointing them out because it helps to bring the teaching of both letters to life to see the connections between Colossians and Philemon. Uh, Recall some of the instructions that Paul provided to the Colossian church in chapter 3 of that book that we studied just a few weeks ago. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In Christ there is not slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul exhorted the church to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And of course, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through Colossians 4, 1. Paul gave instructions to Christian slaves and to Christian masters, how they were to behave, how they were to treat one another. Well, friends, Paul sent these instructions back to the church along with Onesimus. The instructions that he sent to the Colossian church in the letter of Colossians, he sent back to the church along with Onesimus in the letter to Philemon. They arrived at the same time. The church met in Philemon's home, and presumably Onesimus, who is now a Christian, was going to be part of the church at Colossae. He was going to be going to the church in Colossae. It's also likely that the letter to Philemon was intended to be read publicly in the church as well. The evidence for that is that Paul greets the church that met in his house in the letter, so he greets the church that met in the house in the letter, and the fact that we still have the letter preserved in our Bibles. it means it was intended to be read more broadly. I think this is also evidence that Philemon did what Paul encouraged him to do. He didn't like take the letter and burn it, but we still have it in our Bibles today. I think that's great evidence that Philemon did exactly what Paul asked him to do in these verses. Uh, Brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is that there was a real life immediate application the instructions Paul gave to the church in Colossae. Philemon and Onesimus would be real-life examples of living out biblical forgiveness. They would be real-life examples of living out biblical reconciliation. They would be real-life models of gospel love and unity, models of exercising authority in a Christlike manner and submitting to authority in a Christlike manner. Brothers and sisters, do not think for a moment that the Bible is not concerned with real life. When you read the Bible, when you hear it preached, there can be a temptation to think, well, well Paul just does not understand my situation. He, he does not understand what I'm going through. He, he certainly did not intend these commands for me. He would not have said that if he had just known the circumstances of my life or what I was going through. These things just really do not apply to me. Friends, that is just not true. Paul had real-life people and real-life situations in mind when he wrote, as did the other biblical authors. More than that, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is the very words of God, and he certainly knows your situation and knew your situation when he inspired the words of Scripture. Friends, that is something of the the context of the letter to Philemon. So now we want to turn our attention to the content of the letter. We're not going to have time to cover everything in detail this morning, but I have three points that I want us to see. The first is that love seeks forgiveness. The second is love offers forgiveness. And the third is that love encourages forgiveness. Love seeks forgiveness. Love offers forgiveness. And love encourages forgiveness. So, first, love seeks forgiveness. As we've already seen, this letter is really an appeal from Paul to Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to welcome him back as a brother. Well, that implies, in and of itself, that Philemon may have a reason for not welcoming Onesimus back. He may have, a, it implies that there is, is something that is needing forgiving. In fact, we see in verse 11 that Onesimus seems to have been pretty useless while in Philemon's service. He had not been a faithful worker in his household. If you look down at verse 18, it also appears that Onesimus may have owed something to Philemon. Perhaps he had just fled from an agreed-on period of service to Philemon. Here in the UAE, employers often pay for visas, and if If someone leaves their job early and without notice, those employers are out the cost of that visa. Uh, It could also be that Onesimus stole from Philemon, and and this is the reason that he fled. Or he he stole from Philemon in order to have the money to flee. Uh, We're we're not sure what the reasons are that that Philemon fled, or the, the reasons that he seems to owe something to Philemon, or Onesimus fled and seems to owe something to Philemon, but it seems clear that he left on bad terms. There was something that needed reconciled. But on the other hand, we have no indication that Philemon mistreated or wronged Onesimus. He he might have, but Paul just does not make mention of it in this letter. Well, how can that be? I mean, Philemon was the the master, and Onesimus, the, the slave or the servant, How can it be that no wrong was charged to Philemon? I suspect that this does not sound right to us. That just doesn't quite sound right to our our modern ears. And so to understand it, we need to understand something of the ancient system of slavery. At first, slavery in the the first century world was not the race-based slavery that we think of today. Second. Slavery in the first century was a much broader category than what we normally think of, and it was extremely widespread. In fact, one scholar of ancient Roman slavery estimates that around one-third of the people who lived in cities such as Colossae would have been classified as slaves. The professions in which they served would have been very broad as well. As one author put it, slaves served in all kinds of capacities— from the grim and frightful mine workers whose life expectancy was very short, to trusted and respected household slaves who helped run businesses and raise children. Others served as doctors and in teachers and in other professions. Third, slavery in the ancient world did not only refer, refer to forced servitude or involuntary slavery. Now that certainly existed There was prisoners of war and others who were forced into slavery. But slavery also included voluntary servitude, more like that of an indentured servant. In other words, people would voluntarily sell themselves into slavery for a period of time or offer their services, but it wasn't forever. Uh, Think the biblical story of Jacob and Laban. Jacob agreed to, to serve Laban for seven years that he might marry Rachel. Well, people might do this in the first century to escape from poverty, because it was basically the only way they had to feed themselves and their family. They may have done it to to pay off a debt that they could not pay in any other ways, so they were not thrown into debtor's prison or something else. They might do it for another reason, as slaves had the opportunity to even rise and prosper in society in certain circumstances. This is why the, uh, the, the word for slave in the Bible is sometimes translated as bondservant instead. Oh, that would certainly have been a part of the broader category of slavery in the first century. So the fact that we know that Onesimus was a slave does not really tell us very much about him or his situation. And then finally, something that would be helpful for us to know about slavery in the first century... Well, as one author put it, he goes on to write this, Legal freedom, legal freedom, was by no means always a positive move for a slave. Once set free, former slaves were on their own and often found it very difficult to make a living. Legal freedom would not then have been the obvious good in the first century that we would consider it to be today. A Christian slave owner who immediately released all his or her slaves might be condemning many of them to poverty and starvation. Now, this is is not to say that all those who had been classified as slaves in the first century were treated well. They most certainly were not. Some were abused and mistreated terribly. It could be a brutal system, and it is a good thing that it no longer exists. However, serving under a kind, just, and generous master could very well have been a desirable thing, and certainly better than the alternatives that would have been available to a large number of people at that time. Uh, Slavery was, was simply part of the fabric of life during the time of the early church, and so as we saw in Colossians, the Bible gave instructions on how Christians should live under that system. But that is not to say that the Bible condoned or endorsed the system itself. And it should be noted that the Bible is clear in its condemnation of race-based slavery and in its condemnation of the slave trade in which many Africans and others were kidnapped and forcibly shipped off to various places around the world. Friends, racism and race-based slavery is to reject the teaching of Genesis 1:27 that all people have been made in the image of God. It's to reject much more of the Bible than that, but at its core, it's to reject the teaching of Genesis 1.27 that all people have been created in the image of God. That's why racism of any kind is evil. In addition, this is what God commanded in Exodus chapter 21.16 to the people of Israel. He, He commanded this, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Even in the the Old Testament, both those who kidnapped and sold slaves and those who bought them were to be put to death. The the transatlantic slave trade is clearly and severely condemned in the Bible. There is no biblical justification for it. Now, unfortunately, we know that many Christians and churches in the United States, England, and elsewhere were complicit in that system. Christians who owned slaves may have sought to treat their slaves well, but they were participating in an inherently evil system. Many did more than that and helped defend the system. Brothers and sisters, we need to be honest that that was a terrible, terrible sin. It does not mean that each and every person who owned a slave was not a Christian, though certainly many were not, even among those who claimed to be. It does not mean that we have to throw out everything Christian pastors or theologians have said if they did not also condemn slavery. But it does mean that we need to be brutally honest with their sin. It was horrifically wrong, and it has brought ongoing shame to the church. And it has brought ongoing shame to the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, that was not the system of the first century. And so what I want you to see is in this opening point, is that Philemon did not just have an obligation as a Christian to forgive Onesimus. But Onesimus, who is now a Christian himself, had an obligation to seek forgiveness for the wrong that he had done. Now just think for a moment how difficult it would have been for Onesimus to return to Philemon. Though Paul probably told him that Philemon was likely to forgive him, I mean, Paul clearly assumes Philemon is going to forgive him. But uh, Onesimus could not be sure. I mean, Philemon had the power to have Onesimus thrown into jail, perhaps something worse. Uh, On top of that, I'm sure it was an enormously shameful thing for Onesimus to have to return to Philemon. But Onesimus listened to Paul. He did the right thing. And he went. His life had been transformed by the gospel, and he cared more to obey Jesus than he did for his own earthly good. He went back to humble himself. He went back to seek forgiveness. Friends, I want you to to notice that true repentance included a willingness to make restitution. It was not just to to say sorry, but to pay back the wrong he had done. Now, to return was in and of itself a, a form of restitution. It would not have been sufficient to just send a letter without himself. Uh, That would not have been uh, sufficient in terms of repentance for Onesimus. We see in verse 14 that Paul knew that it would not have been right for him to keep Onesimus without Philemon's consent. And in verses 18 and, and 19, Paul told Philemon to charge anything that Onesimus owed to his account. Friends, that is an acknowledgment that repentance requires restitution. Onesimus likely did not have the money to to pay back for for whatever wrong he had done to Philemon. And so Paul offered to do it for him. Brothers and sisters, true godly sorrow over sin means that you are willing to bear the consequences of your sin. It means you are willing to bear the shame of your sin. It means you do not hide your sin, but openly confess it. That if you have harmed another or injured another in your sin, that you offer to make restitution that you seek to to make things right. Friends, there can be no true repentance over sin unless you're willing to bear the penalty for your sin. Uh, Think of of the biblical story of Zacchaeus, who was willing to pay back four times what he owed from those from whom he had stolen. He was willing to make restitution. Now, friends, pretend for a moment that you stole from your company and then became convicted by God that you were wrong and you needed to repent. Maybe you stole before you became a Christian. Now you become a Christian like Onesimus. You become convicted that, ah, I was wrong. I need to repent. But you decide, I'm just going to confess to God and ask for his forgiveness. I'm not going to say anything to my boss or the company. One, I'd be ashamed to confess. I mean, that would be a really embarrassing and shameful thing to do. Two, they don't know anyway, and I might get in trouble. Well, friends, that would be no true repentance at all. Friends, repentance means you're willing to confess to those you have wronged and bear the penalty of your sin and bear the shame of your sin. I also want you to see that in Paul's offer to pay the debt that Onesimus owed, we we also see a wonderful picture of the gospel. Onesimus was unable to pay his debt, and so Paul offered to pay it for him. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus did for you. All people owe an an unpayable debt of sin to God. Even one sin, even one sin permanently separates you from the perfectly holy creator of the universe. No amount of charity, no amount of prayer, no amount of fasting, no amount of good works can do anything to pay down your debt. Brothers and sisters, we are all deserving of God's judgment. What you needed was someone to bear your penalty. What you needed was somebody to take your shame. What you needed was somebody to pay your debt in your place. And that person could not just be any person. It had to be a perfect person. One who had done no wrong and could therefore be the perfect sacrifice that God required. Friends, it had to be Jesus. When you turn to Jesus by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in him, The debt you owe for your sin, the shame that you have over your sin, it does not just disappear. It gets transferred to Jesus. He absorbs it. He bears it in your place. And in return you get his perfect righteousness, that you may be presented faultless, blameless, and holy before God without shame. Friends, that's what we just sang about a few minutes ago, that glorious exchange that we get his grace, we get his righteousness. He gets our sin. Friends, it's only Jesus who can make peace and bring reconciliation between you and God. And and this is the good news of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, because Jesus has erased your certificate of debt by nailing it to the cross, well, that means that you can freely confess your sin and be willing to bear whatever earthly consequence or earthly shame may come. You can freely confess because you know that you have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. No matter what earthly consequence you face, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, Jesus' forgiveness frees you to seek forgiveness from others. So first, love seeks forgiveness. But second, love offers forgiveness. This brings us back to the heart of the letter. Paul's appeal in verse 17 to welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me, This was Paul's appeal to Philemon to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome Paul himself. That was a big appeal. He was asking Philemon to welcome back his runaway slave, someone who had wronged him, in the same way that he would welcome the Apostle Paul. And my guess is if you've had somebody wrong you, you don't feel quite like you might feel towards a good friend towards that person. And yet, that's what Paul is appealing to Philemon. This was an appeal to, for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Welcoming him is a, is a picture of a reconciled relationship. as There is no welcome without forgiveness. Paul was asking Philemon to forgive and forget the wrong that Onesimus had done. And though Paul offered to pay Onesimus' debt, I think he really expected Philemon and even encouraged Philemon to simply forget and forgive anything that Onesimus owed. Paul was willing to pay, but I do not think that Paul expected to pay. Now look again at verse 19. He reminded Philemon that he owed his very self to Paul. Now as I said earlier, it's likely that Philemon was converted under Paul's ministry. So Paul was reminding Philemon of the spiritual debt that he owed to Paul. Embedded in that reminder was a reminder of the gospel itself. He was reminding Philemon that he had been forgiven by Jesus Christ so he could freely forgive Onesimus. My friends, that is what true forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a, is a willingness to absorb the pain and the debt of someone's sin against you. So if you were to, to loan someone 100 dirhams, if you loan someone 100 dirhams, and then you forgive them that debt, you tell them, don't worry about paying it back, or, or you never ask them to, to pay it back, that means you've elected to absorb that debt to lose the 100 dirhams yourself. Friends, that is what forgiveness is like. When you forgive, you're willing to absorb the pain and the hurt and the wrong that someone has done to you without demanding they make it up to you, without hurting them or or shaming them to get even. To forgive is not to hold the sin of someone else against them. Now, this does not make it wrong for someone who sins against you to make restitution— We just read Exodus chapter 22. And it does not make it wrong for you to ask for restitution. You can ask for your hundred dirhams back. What it does mean is that you're willing to forgive them in your heart whether or not that restitution ever comes. Uh, The the center of Paul's appeal was an appeal for forgiveness. It was also an appeal to now welcome Onesimus as a dearly loved brother in Christ. Onesimus had been converted... So Paul was appealing to Philemon to no longer treat Onesimus primarily according to earthly realities, their earthly relationship, that of slave and master. No, Philemon was to view their relationship primarily according to heavenly realities, the fact that they were brothers in Christ. Notice what Paul writes in verse 15. He pointed out God's sovereign control over what had happened. Even if Onesimus had been wrong and fleeing from Philemon, God used it for the salvation of Onesimus so that now Philemon could have Onesimus back permanently as a brother in Christ. When Paul says Philemon would have him back forever, he's not saying that Onesimus will now be Philemon's slave forever. Paul is speaking of heavenly realities and saying that they will now enjoy eternal fellowship with one another because they are now brothers in Christ that God has used this circumstance for the good of Onesimus, that he might be saved, and also for Philemon's good, because they have now been united as brothers in Christ Jesus. Well, now the question is, was Paul asking Philemon to do more than simply forgive and welcome Onesimus as a brother? Was he appealing to Philemon to set Onesimus free? I believe that he was, though this is not 100% certain from this letter. However, throughout the letter, Paul refers to his own imprisonment, which may have been a subtle or not-so-subtle hint to Philemon that it would be better if Onesimus was set free. Paul is pointing to his own imprisonment as a little bit of a reminder to Philemon. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, Paul writes this to Christians who were slaves. Were you called or saved? While a slave, do not let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. In addition, in in verse 16 of, of Philemon, Paul appealed to Philemon to welcome Onesimus no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. Now, Paul may have just been saying something like, well, in addition to welcoming Onesimus back as your slave or servant, Well, do more than that. Welcome him as a dearly loved brother. Treat him as a brother in Christ. But at the end of that verse, he says that Onesimus is a brother to him both in the flesh and the Lord, meaning at the very least that their spiritual relationship in the Lord should also be lived out in their earthly relationship, in the flesh. And then in verse 21, Paul told Philemon that he is not only confident that Philemon will listen to his appeal, but that he will do even more than he asked. Now, this does not definitely mean Paul was asking Philemon to set Onesimus free, but I believe that is likely. At the very least, he was appealing to Philemon to treat Onesimus in such a way that even if Onesimus still technically remained a slave, it would be in name only. He should be treated in such a way that it would be as if he were not a slave at all. Though the bottom line is that Philemon was to act out of love, and he was to act out of love for Onesimus, and he was to act for the good of Onesimus. That's what Philemon was to do. He was to act for the good of Onesimus. Look back at verse 9. Love was the basis of Paul's appeal to Philemon. Christians are to love one another. Love is the perfect bond of unity. All that Paul appealed for Philemon to do was to be done out of love. That's the highest motivation. It's the motivation that we as Christians are to strive for. Friends, God does not desire fundamentally outward obedience. He does, not out, he does not fundamentally desire us to do this and do that. God does not just desire outward obedience, but obedience from the heart. And that is why in verse 8 Paul says that he did not command Philemon, but he appealed to Philemon on the basis of love. He desired, as he wrote in verse 14, that Philemon act out of his own free will. That is because obedience from the heart, genuine love, was that that pleases the Lord. I love how one scholar put it. He wrote this, By appealing to Philemon on the basis of love, Paul raises the stakes and puts even greater pressure on Philemon. Obeying a command may be burdensome, but it is rather straightforward and can be accomplished grudgingly. But Paul puts the responsibility on Philemon. He is, in effect, testing the depths of Philemon's love and the extent of his understanding of Christian fellowship. He must not only do what Paul wants him to do, he must do it for the right reasons. Brothers and sisters, the New Testament command to love raises the stakes. It sets the bar for our obedience to the Lord. Just take a moment and reflect on your own lives and and ask that of your treatment of others, that in your relationships, if you are motivated by love for others. Maybe you're motivated by something else. I guarantee that we're not always motivated by love. It's a great question just to take into your personal life and your personal relationships. What is my motivation for the things that I'm doing? Well, I believe it is the Christian command to love in conjunction with the fact that we are all made in the image of God and that Christians have been united to Christ that ultimately makes slavery incompatible with the gospel. The gospel, in other words, lays the groundwork for the eventual and ultimate abolition of slavery. This is how one scholar puts it it is clearly incompatible for a Christian master to own a brother in Christ in the contemporary or modern sense of the word. And although the existing order of society could not be immediately changed, so he's talking about the first century, so although the existing order of society could not be immediately changed by Christianity without a political revolution, which was clearly contrary to Christian principles, the Christian master-slave relationship was so transformed from within That it was bound to lead, ultimately, to the abolition of the system. Brothers and sisters, the love of Jesus is transformative. It transforms Christians. It transforms their relationships. And by doing that, it transforms society. The first, love seeks forgiveness. Love offers forgiveness. But then third, love encourages forgiveness. This will be a short point, but I do not want you to miss Paul's role as a peacemaker. Paul encouraged reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus, and he acted out of his love for both. Paul clearly had a a deep love for Philemon. Just look at verses 1, 4, 7, 22. He had a deep love for Onesimus as well. In verse 12, Paul said that he was sending back my very own heart when he sent back Onesimus. In verse 13, we see that Onesimus had been serving Paul during his imprisonment. There seemed to be a bond that had developed between them. But Paul knew that the right thing to do was for Onesimus to be reconciled to Philemon. It would be wrong of him to keep Onesimus with him without Philemon's consent. So Paul did some hard things out of love as well. He sent back Onesimus. And he also took time to write a letter to Philemon to help facilitate the reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. He acted as a peacemaker. Brothers and sisters, that is the role that we have been given as well. Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And friends, I think we have something to learn from the the way that Paul pursued peace between Philemon and Onesimus. He was an apostle. He could have commanded Philemon to do what he was supposed to do, as we see in verse 8. He had that authority. But he did not use his authority in that way. He sought to, to gently encourage. He sought to gently persuade. He wanted Philemon to act out of Christian love, not just, not just duty. Friends, that should be our, our own goal when offering a word of encouragement and correction. Parents, that should be your goal with your kids. Not that they're just outwardly compliant with, to you they obey from the heart. Brothers and sisters, the book of Philemon is a picture of Christian forgiveness. And it's a picture of love in action. True love starts with God's love for us, which is then reflected in our own love for God and our own love for others. Biblical love is to seek the good of others, even when it comes at some personal cost to you. Biblical love should lead you to do hard things. Things that you would not not do on your own apart from God being at work in you. It leads you to, to do hard things for the glory of God and the good of others. This is what we see in the life of Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. And so brothers and sisters, as I close, just let me ask you, what hard things What difficult things might be love compelling you to do? Do you need to go and seek the forgiveness of another? Do you need to make restitution for a wrong that has been committed? Friends, do you need to offer forgiveness to someone? Is there someone that you are bitter towards that you need to forgive in your heart even if they have never asked for your forgiveness? Is there a pain or a debt that you need to to work to absorb? Friends, as God puts you in the place to act as a peacemaker with others, how might you encourage and seek to build the unity of the church? Brothers and sisters, biblical love is not easy. It comes at personal cost. As 1 John 4.19 says, We can love because He first loved us. We can love because Christ died for us. Let's pray.